From BetaCell and JDRF, this is Lunch Break, the midday live streaming show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm your host, Craig Steubing. We have people watching on BetaCell's Facebook page and JDRF's Twitch channel. We'll be taking questions from our viewers at the end of the show, so send them our way while we're chatting, and uh, we'll get to that at the end. I'm here today with Dave Holmes, uh, the editor-at-large for Esquire, and Michael Sebastian, the editor-in-chief of Esquire. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having us, Craig. Hey, Craig. Of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you guys um, were both diagnosed with type 1 as adults. Yes. How old were mm-hmm. you? Correct. Were you both? I was, I think, 43 or 44. Okay. I was a 34, thereabouts. I had one of those, um, well, I think kind of Dave and I are going to talk about the same thing, right? That we were both uh, misdiagnosed with um, uh, type 2 or something like that. They really weren't quite sure with me. Yeah, same thing. Uh, I think, you know, your general physician, when you present with a high A1C, just immediately goes to, and you're an adult, goes to type 2. Yeah. And, you know, 95% of the time they're right, but 5% of the time they're not. And we happen to fall into that 5%. And every other person I've ever talked to who was diagnosed in adulthood has the exact same story. No, no doctor is going to go right to type one. Yeah. I, you know, I, in in fact, I have a, a kind of a unique story that I was on. So when I was 21 years old, I had a brain surgery to remove a benign brain tumor. And uh, the way that they found it was that I had a seizure randomly, only one I'd ever had. And they had put me on an anti-seizure medication, which they just kept me on for all those years. So when I uh, presented to the doctor with this incredibly high high A1C, he had this theory, which was that um, people on this drug for a long time sometimes have elevated blood sugars. So he thought if he took me off of this, I would be cured. And sure enough, they they did, and my numbers went down basically to normal, which I think we all know now is that honeymoon period, right? And the doctor, God bless him, thought that he was going to like you know make his name writing a medical journal out of or medical uh, article out of the fact that he had like you know found this one. I was the one guy who basically had an elevated A one C from this, um, and so that that ate up like nine months or something like that of them just kind of monitoring for it for that drug that I was on. So when you finally got the diagnosis of type one, was that a relief or, you know, type one is hard, right? Um, It's good to know what you have, right? You don't want to be misdiagnosed with something, but, you know, it's not like, oh, we thought you had this, but you don't, you know, the test was wrong. It was, oh, we thought you had this, but you actually have something, you know, much more complicated. Yeah, it wasn't a relief for me. No. Uh, In fact, it was kind of overwhelming. Do you remember um, when you got that diagnosis? Uh, I do very much so. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I, I you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who thankfully has ever really struggled with um, mental health issues or depression or anything like that. But, but it, it, it threw me into a funk like I had never really experienced before for, we- for at least weeks. And uh, I give so much credit to my wife, um, who was nine months pregnant at the time when this came. She pulled me out of it basically with the support that she gave me in the, in the room, really the room to feel what I needed to feel and then kind of pulling me out of it. And Dave, um, mm-hmm. friend of beta cell podcast, you've been on many times before mm-hmm. people have mm-hmm. listeners of the show have heard your story for people who have not, um, you were misdiagnosed as type two what? right after you ran the, I think 2009 New York marathon, New York city. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then it was like five years of being misdiagnosed. Yeah. I was on metformin for uh, a number of years. And it didn't, you know, my my A1C stayed high. Didn't, didn't go much higher, but it didn't become normal either. And so every time I went back to the doctor, it was just, well, let's let's put you on more metformin. And also you should just be, you know, eat fewer carbs, you know. Uh, so I I did everything that I could do nutritionally. And then I, I took metformin, which made me super sick. Um, not all the time, but like every once a month or so, I would get very, very sick. And then, you know, it, it whatever, I, I, I guess this was my honeymoon period. And, uh, and then in 2015, everything, it just, my blood sugar went super through the roof. And I was like testing, I was pricking my finger like crazy. And it just, it, there was nothing I could eat. There was no amount of activity that I could do that would bring it down. Um, I remember I, I, I had a, a, I met a friend for breakfast and I, had like an egg white omelet with kale. And then afterwards I was like at 320. And I was like, well, I, 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 now I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So uh, so I took myself to an endocrinologist and he ran all the tests and and that was pretty much that. But in, in, you know, and in those last few weeks, I got all of the symptoms that we recognize as symptoms of type one. I lost a ton of weight. I was in the bathroom constantly. I was always thirsty, all that kind of thing. So- so for me, it was a relief because at last there was a way to bring my blood sugar down, you know, and, and there was like, I knew what was actually going on with my body, which is good to know. Yeah. So Michael, you are the editor-in-chief Esquire magazine. Um, there's a new issue. It's out now, I believe. It is out now. Yep. Came in the mail yesterday for me. Mm-hmm. The theme is why are we like this? Correct. What does what does that mean? What what where did this come from? It evolved over over kind of the course of uh, of several months. So it, it actually started. Um, we were going to do uh, an unwellness issue, and the idea of the unwellness issue was essentially kind of like the opposite of the goops of the world, which was kind of celebrating all of the things mentally or physically that might be bad for you. Um, I'm really glad we didn't do that, uh, considering everything that's happened in the world now. Um, I'm not sure how that would have been uh, uh, received. But, you know, the, the more we talked about it, the more um, the people on staff and the people who write for us, including Dave, you started to talk about all these kind of hidden anxieties that they have, hidden, hidden or otherwise. And, um, and we started to collect those and um, ask people to write about them. And so um, Dave, uh, Dave's essay leads off this package that we have in our issue. And um, Dave wrote this excellent piece about um, how he didn't um, immediately seek emotional support after getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I had never really been public about my own diagnosis. I I told some people, but more or less, you know, kept it pretty, pretty close to the vest. And I, and I read that and, um, and I, I just, I, you know, it was almost like he was unconsciously calling me out saying like, you know, you should, you should uh, come out and tell people about this. And so uh, in, in my own essay, which was my letter from the editor, I, I wrote about it, which was really the first time I'd ever done that. And can I get you to read uh, just a segment of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so this is, this is part of it right here. Uh, I kept this secret for so long because it felt like a weakness. I'd experienced my fair share of major medical issues. I broke my leg playing high school football. When I was in my early 20s, I had brain surgery to remove a benign tumor. 
uh, I quickly recovered both times. I beat them. But type 1 isn't something you defeat. I could barely bring myself to accept that I had this chronic, lifelong disease, let alone talk about it with other people. Quietly muscling through this seemed like strength. That's what most men are led to believe, and it gave me some measure of ownership over this thing I couldn't overcome, when in fact, I've spent the last five years on the verge of an anxiety attack. I was diagnosed at 13 years old. I was at a, at a small school in seventh, in seventh grade. You know, there were 20, 25 kids in my class. They all knew I had type 1 because there were only 25 of us. And I was, you know, when you miss a week of school, uh, everyone, you know, wonders where you were. But as soon as I went to high school, I didn't know most of them. You know, only two people from my middle school went to my same high school. And I didn't tell anyone. I would just go to the, I would stop at the nurse's office after my, you know, class before lunch. I would test my blood sugar and then I would go and I would find my friends in the lunchroom. You know, it doesn't take that long to prick your finger, uh, give a shot. And I think to this day, it's still a weird thing to say, I have type 1 diabetes. Like even just saying it now, it like it kind of gives me goosebumps, and I'm and I'm not sure why. Do you have that issue, Dave? Um, I didn't. I didn't have an issue telling people about it because, again, for me, it was a relief. I was very concerned about my health for a very long time, and and trying to do everything I could do to make myself better, and it wasn't working. And so when I saw a doctor and got put on the right path, I was I was relieved and I didn't I didn't mind people knowing. So that part of it was never a huge concern for me. But what was difficult was um and this is what I write about, my uh my endocrinologist and and my diabetes educator, I went through the whole thing where, you know, here are the portions and this, you know, this quarter of your plate should be a, a lean protein and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she was also like, you know, there are there are happy hours on meetup.com that you should that you should go to. And and that part of it was really was really difficult. Just the the idea of like admitting that I would need to to talk to another human being about how to keep myself healthy and you know, physically and mentally and emotionally and all that kind of stuff. That was really difficult, which is surprising for me because I don't I don't think of myself as that kind of person, but I guess I was for a little bit. It's almost more difficult for you to tell other type ones that you had type one. A little, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, it was strange. I mean, I just I, I knew going in if I was going to meet people, I was going to have a bunch of I was going to be needy and I was going to have a bunch of basic questions. And that admitting weakness to myself in that way for whatever reason was was really difficult. You know, and and it's not it's it's a little bit. It's not like what we're going through right now, what all of us are going through right now. Like when we when we talk to each other in this time of this this time that literally none of us has ever lived through before. We're all this is totally unprecedented in our lifetime. We're stuck in our homes. The, the future in many ways is uncertain. And when we talk to each other and we ask how we're doing, it's like that eh, fine. You know, I mean, this is this is a t- like we all kind of need some emotional support right now. But I, I I'm not. I'm not finding it easy to ask for it or to admit that I need it or, or whatever. It's all still strange. Yeah. Well, Michael, you, you talk about how type one feels like a weakness, even though it's something that we, we don't choose, right? We, we haven't done this to ourselves and it doesn't necessarily stop you from doing anything. I mean, Dave just ran a, a marathon 
you know, mm-hmm. last year, um, people people with type one are able to do all the things that people without type one can do. It, it requires mm-hmm. a little a little more mental energy, a little more planning. Mm-hmm. But where do you think this feeling of weakness comes from? It's a it's a great question, and um, I. Uh, I, I, you know, I was looking to dispel uh, that notion a bit in the in the piece that I wrote, which which is, you know, this idea that I had I had to come to the realization that it wasn't a weakness, um, and uh, the reason that I think it it did, um, and kind kind of like that that portion that I read, which was that it was something that I that I I couldn't I couldn't beat. You know, it's something something else that I say in the piece, which is that you know, essentially, you do all this work. Um, every day to manage this thing. And the reward is you don't die, you know, like that's kind of, that's, that's what you get at the end of it, which is great, obviously. Um, but at the same time, um, it's, it just, it felt like something that I couldn't just say, uh, at the end of the day, just be like, okay, now I'm done with that. I beat it. It's over. And now I can move on. Um, there, there was something, I'm going to totally butcher this, but, um, there was an interview that Mary Tyler Moore gave uh, at, at some point in her lifetime um, where she was talking about her own, um, you know, she, she kept her diagnosis um, secret for a while before she finally came out and became such an active person in the type one community. Um, and she was saying that it was, it was hard for her to, to reconcile this idea that I have this very serious um, disease that requires constant management, but actually when I manage it, it's no big deal. You don't have to worry about it, you know? And, and that, that to me, that, that sort of contradiction is something that I feel like I had a a real hard time, um, um, managing in my own head. This feels like a very masculine problem. Does that sound right? I, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. You know, you you asked me about this, Dave, of you know the my podcast and the breakdown of you know male female who's who's mm-hmm. following it, who's interacting with it. Uh, I believe I said eighty percent female, twenty percent male, and my own you know n- you know my own observations are when men seem to talk about type one, it's typically in like an athletic way, like, oh, I have type one, but I just uh, did a marathon. I just did this Spartan race. I, you know, just did this or that. It's all these athletic achievements of us overcoming like this perceived weakness, like a way to like, Mm -hmm. we, we, despite this, despite all odds, you know, it's, it's the same sense of the, you know, the game winning, you know, bottom of the ninth home run or the Hail Mary at the end of the football mm-hmm. game as time expires. It's like you are winning in the end despite all these odds against you, and it makes you more of a hero. You know, no one yeah. cares about the the baseball team that has the blowout World Series. You know, you win 20 to nothing, like no one cares. But right. that's not what makes it onto that highlight reel. And it's something about that. I don't know. Have you have you felt that way? I well, I think I think the key word is I. Yeah. There is some there's some stubborn thing in the male ego that wants to say like I did this, I beat this. You know, I I faced this challenge and I did it and here's how I got through it. And there's, you know, there there's an element of we in this thing. Like at the beginning, I really remember 
the first few times, Craig, that you and I hung out socially, it was like two people, but then the food would come and it would I would be like, how do you do that? You know, like, how are you going to because I mean, because you really do need to, like, figure out how you're going to eat meals, you know, and like what the carb content is going to be and what, you know, how much to take and when you're going to take it and when you're going to know that you did it right. Or if you, you know, if you're going to need a glass of juice or you're going to need more insulin or whatever, there's all this stuff that you need. And really only another person who has lived it can really tell you it. So there's, you have, it has to become a we, and I think we all want to make it I, you know, I, you know, here's what I did. I won. Michael, when you um, you know, you write in your in your piece in Esquire, uh, you're, it's sort of your your coming out as type one diabetic. You say I have type one diabetes. Was that hard to type? <laughs> it, it it really was actually. Um, I um, uh, spent a you know spent a long time um, uh, on that, and it wasn't because it was necessarily hard for the words to come, but it was it was hard to actually really sort of type that and then um, send it off to um, the editor who who worked on it for me, and then you know what was weird. I sort of I sort of had this circle of people that I kind of spread it out to as well. That some of the people who were very close to me that I hadn't already told. Um, I wanted to share with them first. And, you know, there's, there's actually, there's a guy who works at Esquire. Um, his name is Nick Sullivan. He's our creative director. He's been at Esquire for decades. Um, he has a 16 year old son who has type one diabetes. And I, I felt like such an imposter around him because he and I, we, he would, he and I travel together. We go, um, we spent two weeks together in, in, in Europe earlier this year and, uh, in close quarters sharing a, a car, right? And he had his, his son's um, uh, Dexcom on his phone and it would go off and he would, you know, he would text his son or he'd get on the phone with them or something like that. And I just sat there and quietly and sort of played dumb. And, and it was, it was, it was so Im- immature of me and, and, um, and really kind of weak of me, you know what I mean? And so I, I was actually really nervous to tell him about this because I, I, I worried that he would be like, well, why, why were you essentially lying to me, you know, not, not overtly, he never said to me, hey, do you have type 1 diabetes? But, you know, I never said to him, hey, I know what that's all about, you know. Thankfully, I mean, of course, he was very gracious about the whole thing and, and proud of me and, and everything else. He's British. So when I sent it to him, he simply wrote back, nice job, which I feel like is the British stiff upper lip way of like, <laughs> you know, giving you a, a, a big congratulations. That's huge. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I've, done the same thing with friends and, and college, you know, coworkers. We would go mm-hmm. to lunch every day and I would we, would, we would go down the street to Chipotle, eat our whole meal. We'd come back to the office and then I would go, take my stuff. I would go into the bathroom and give myself a shot. And think, thinking now, like what all of those carbs were doing to me in that time between I started eating to the time I actually gave that shot. Like, thank God I didn't have a Dexcom at the time because I would have been horrified. You know, it was kind of this <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Yeah. You know, now it's like, I've got the the timer on my watch of like, at what point can I stop pre-bolusing? Like, like when does mm-hmm. the 10 minutes hit that I can start eating? Mm-hmm. And, you know, afterwards, when I when I it was when I started the podcast and I emailed everyone, I said, "Hey, I'm do I've started this podcast. You know, this is my story. 
And mm. some of those people were like, oh, you have type 1? Huh, why didn't you say anything? Right. It wasn't such a big deal to anyone else. It is kind of amazing, isn't it? How, how much you, it, it, it exists in your head. That barrier exists in your head, you know? Um, and I mean, I think that as Dave pointed out, I mean, we're talking about type 1, but that it seems that there's something incredibly universal about this, whether it's anxiety that, that people might have about, you know, COVID-19 or, or, or anything. I think that that, and that, that's something that I also wanted to get across, not only in, in the piece that I wrote, but I think what Dave wrote and kind of the whole package that we put together, right? Which is this idea that whatever it is that you're experiencing, you're, you're a, you're not alone. And B it's, it's much bigger in your head than it is in reality, you know? And, that um, seems more prescient than ever, given everything that we're, we're dealing with right now. Um, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I was standing in my kitchen, and I was listening to the radio, and um, uh, uh, the song Night Moves by Bob Seger came on. It was a, a stupid song I've heard two million times. And for whatever reason, I burst into tears listening to this song. And it was because it was it was like the the whole thing with the coronavirus and and it was just this like this 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 maelstrom of emotion. And my my wife walked into the kitchen and first I tried to conceal it, but I was like a blubbering baby. You know what I mean? And I was so embarrassed that it was this stupid song, Night Moves, that that is what did that to me. And I think it was just I was mourning um, all of the times I had heard that song before the whole world turned upside down, right? Hmm. And yeah. just all of the times that I had been in a car or whatever and taken that moment for granted, and that's what kind of overcame me. And I feel like we're all, all of us are having that moment, right? It, it either, either once or throughout the day or whatever. And that if we don't talk about those things, we're all, we're all going to be worse off as a result of it, right? Right, right. Well, and you have an interesting... I don't know, your, your own little journey is going to be interesting because you've kind of gone into this quarantine, this sheltering at home as a publicly non-diabetic and you're kind of emerging <laughs> from this quarantine cocoon as an yeah. outed type one. Right. And with a mustache too. So, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you follow people on social media, but are you going to go to meetups? Have you thought about even that far yet? I mean, it's going to be a while before we can actually meet people in person, but yeah. it might, it might have its own other sense of now we can finally meet each other, you know, cause we've been isolated so long. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I haven't really thought that far ahead, but the idea of meeting up with people in real life sounds so awesome that I, I don't care what the setting is. I'll, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever yeah, the condition. <laughs> right. Exactly. Do you remember that? Do you remember going places? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you guys sort of answered this question in this issue of Esquire. Why are we like this? But the question I want to pose to you is Oh, I don't I don't know that we answered it. No. I don't I still don't know why I'm like this, but it but it, at least putting it all out there I think is really is interesting and 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 thought provoking and I hope you we know. we know, we might not know why we're like this, but we know what we are, I guess. Right. We've laid it right. out. Yeah, maybe that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So I guess the question is where do we go from there? Men, adult men with type 1 diabetes, how do we not feel so ashamed? Uh, if, if that's not the word, afraid of support, afraid of meeting people, afraid to 
do things like go to walks or bike rides or runs with all the various organizations out there that do that, like the systems in place for us, how do we get ourselves to do it? Whew. I mean, what you, Dave, you, yeah. you went to that first meetup. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You met me yeah. at that meetup. Yeah. Eventually we went for a run. Yeah, that was it. We literally put one foot in front of the other and just ran. And, and, you know, not too long after that, um, I, I, I don't know if I said something about it on Twitter or, uh, or, or maybe it was in a, in a post for Esquire. I don't know, but I, I, I mentioned in passing having been diagnosed and it wasn't, it wasn't the point of whatever it was that I was saying, but because of that, um, a couple of other people reached out to me with the exact same story. One, one of which was Michael Sebastian. And, and so like, you know, I, I met the, I, I made the point of making friends uh, in a, in like a type one setting, which was super important. And then in talking about it, I found another community among people who I already knew and liked and who we could also share that experience. And that was really, that was really comforting. That was a, a, a real kind of uh, pressure valve, pressure releaser for me. You know, um, I think just the more the more open we all are about our own struggles, whatever they might be, it doesn't have to be the point of every conversation that we have for the rest of our lives. But once once we are open, we then allow other people to be open about the same things, and then we can have those conversations. We can have conversations about them. We can, you know, make it whatever our struggles are a part of our lives and and deal with them rather than denying them and, and making them more important than they need to be. That's a, good, that's a good way of putting it, Dave, making them more important than they need to be. Right. Maybe let's take a moment and admit something we've been struggling with, with type one these past few weeks, stuck at home. I'll go first. This is my idea. I I've been trying to eat very healthy, but there are lots of, of my, I don't know, my like comfort snacks, which for me is chocolate covered almonds. And I go through like a box every two days only because I stop myself. And I, I feel really bad when I, when I eat them all. I, I feel good when I eat them. And then when I look at the empty box, I feel really bad. And it, yeah. it hasn't been terrible for my blood sugars because I, I space them out over the course of the day. But I, I do feel guilt. Uh, that's, my, that's my shame. Huh. Why do you think you feel guilt? I think it's just this, the sheer amount of them. I just, I, okay. I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy with everything else. And I, I, sure. the nice thing about being at home is I can really like cook meals all day for the first time. Like I can make eggs and pancakes. It's now down to one pancake a day with fruit, right? right. And I can have coffee and that's like a nice healthy meal as opposed to instant oatmeal or a yogurt. Mm -hmm. And then over the day, I just have this huge box of Trader Joe's chocolate covered almonds and every time I walk past my living room uh, table, I just I just grab a handful of them. Yeah. Well, let me put a couple things out for you. Um, <laughs> one, you need comfort. You just do. This is yeah. we're in a time of total uncertainty, and no one will no one will blame you for taking comfort however you can. Two. We're talking about chocolate-covered almonds, my friend. In the scheme of things, you could be doing a lot worse. Chocolate-covered almonds. 
You're doing all right. <laughs> what have you guys been struggling with? Exercise, diet, something else? So I feel like I have a few things. So first of all, I've, I've more or less not exercised at all um, since uh, being home. Um, and I... I, I don't. I don't really know why, right? And it's 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 one of those things where maybe I'm fearful to go outside. I I, I don't know exactly um, what's going on, but my my activity has been pretty low. Um, you know, you bring up a good point about diet. That has been something where it's like um, because I can. Uh, spend a few minutes and like make eggs for breakfast every morning, or be thoughtful about my lunch. Um, I've been able to meal plan a little bit better, which has been good. You know, you uh, kind of mentioned that. But the the thing that gets me is basically uh, now right around five o'clock, uh, my wife and I will open a bottle of wine and then um, I will, will, you know, more or less finish that. And then I will fall asleep with our two daughters or when we put our two daughters to bed. Uh, which is like, you know, sometime between eight and nine. And then unfortunately, instead of staying asleep all night, I'll wake up at about 11-ish, 11.30 after having like a solid two-hour nap and then just like have to watch TV or read until like two or three o'clock in the morning. So my sleep cycle is all messed up because of this. Oh, wow. That's rough. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So if either of you get a text message from me at three o'clock in the morning, uh, you'll know why. That's what's up. Okay. Yeah, that's what's up. What do you got, Dave? For me, actually, actually, um, exercise has been fairly easy because um, we, we're kind of out in the suburbs, and so I can get out and run, and I don't really see another. I mean, I see other people, but it's very easy to run around them and all that kind of thing. And if I wanted to run in the middle of the street, I could because very few people are on the road. And the air quality in Los Angeles, since it's been raining, and because there are so many fewer cars on the road, is beautiful like i i don't think i understood how bad the air quality was until about a month ago and now it's it is very very nice um so i'm running a lot um but i've just gone on uh, a frezza at the beginning of this year which is the inhalable insulin which is great and it's 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 especially great for somebody who is active because it leaves your system very quickly right so if i have lunch at one um there's no, aside from my long acting insulin, there's nothing, I don't have any insulin on board at four or five if I decide to go for a long run, which is great because with Novolog or Humalog or whatever, same thing, there would still be enough of it in my system. And there's something about that last hour of insulin activity in the late afternoon, for whatever reason, that's always when I would go super low. So I couldn't really go for a run and Craig, you know me because you've run with me. I have a full like bandolero belt of like <laughs> gels and tabs and all that kind of thing because I'm super peppery about going low. So now I can do that very easily and that's that's fine. The the problem with a Frezza comes for me with dinner because I am cooking a lot. So I will um I it a Frezza has made me less fearful of pasta, which is great, but like I'll cook a big pot like i do a sausage orzo which is so good um with mascarpone cheese and mushrooms and it's delicious but it's pretty high fat so so i i take what i need i take the amount of afrezza that i need to take to get myself over the initial hump of carbs and and all that and then i frequently find that i wake up at 1 30 and i'm at like 250 because the mm. fat content of the meal hits me later and i'm asleep and i have turned off my high alarms because i want to go to sleep 
So that's a thing that I, I that's typically I, I find that I roll over and I've, you know, and certainly, if, you know, we've, we'll do like pizza once a week and that's a problem too, because that, that will hit you in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, so that's my major issue, but I'm asleep during it. So it's not that You're getting bad. a full night's sleep. So which Usually. is probably better for you in the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. Uh, so that's all the time we have for today. Lunch Break is a production of Beta Cell and is produced by me, Craig Steubing. Thanks to everyone watching on Facebook and Twitch. We'll be doing episodes at noon Pacific every day this week. So tune in to watch live or you can hear it on our podcast the next morning. Our website is betacellpodcast.com. There you can find every episode of all the Beta Cell shows, including our episodes with Dave, uh, to help you get through just staying at home if you need something else to listen to. Uh, we are also a listener-supported show, which means that we rely on people like you to help pay our expenses. Don't ask for money from corporations, and you can do that by joining our fan club. JDRF, who we produce this with, is the leading global organization funding type 1 diabetes research. They need your help to do their important work of improving the lives of people with type 1. You can get involved, much like we've been talking about doing, with your local chapter through YLC, by joining a walk team or the bike team. Uh, or you can just donate at jdrf.org. So lastly, Dave and Michael, you've been at home. Is this the post credit scene? This is the post credit scene. Okay. Recommend something that you've been reading, watching on Netflix, um, a movie. Give me something to, to do. Read a square. There's one. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. We'll link to that. Now is a good time if, if you can manage it to read one of or the books that have been sitting around accumulating dust that you've always wanted to get to. And um, I am reading The Count of Monte Cristo, which Ooh. is actually kind of good for this because he's in jail and he breaks out and then he has this fabulous life full of adventure and everything else. Um, so that's about 600 pages and I'm, and I'm, and I'm about halfway through it right now. So, uh, if you're looking for something to really consume a lot of time, the Count of Monte Cristo. Wow. That's great. Uh, I'm reading a book called the Knicks, which is also a big thick book that has been sitting taunting me on my bookshelf for a really long time. Um, let's see. There is a network called Buzzer, B-U-Z-Z-R, that is nothing but old game shows. Um, I get it through the Pluto TV app, and it's um, it's all game shows from the 70s, 80s, 90s. You got your Supermarket Sweep. You got your um, you know Password Plus. You don't have to use your brain at all. The fashions are incredible. Uh, when it's time for match game, everybody is visibly drunk and like, and there's <laughs> plumes of smoke coming from behind their little name tag thing because they're smoking a cigarette. It's it's really it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We will see you tomorrow. Go wash your hands. <laughs>